Right, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We are three weeks, feels like we started Ephesians forever ago, and we keep taking breaks, and we keep coming back to it. We are three weeks from being done with Ephesians, uh, and today uh, we're going to be talking about marriage. Um, in the last half of the book of Ephesians, Paul's uh, been talking about how do we practically live out the gospel, and maybe uh, more than any of the other ones that he talks about. This one has the gospel imprint on it uh, so much. And he's going to spend time talking about, uh, like he said in chapter 3, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so as gospel people, as people who believe in the gospel, believe that Jesus came to save us from our sins, we believe that it changes us, we believe that the gospel should impact how we are husbands and how we are wives. I get this morning that there are people that are not married in the room. I get that there are people that used to be married. There are people that never got married. There's people that want to be married but aren't. We got a whole variety. Um, but this is what the scripture speaks to today. And regardless of whether what your situation is as far as marital status that you check off on the box, uh, marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel, and so we all have something to learn. Let me just say up front, marriage has been distorted and uh, altered all throughout human history. Many people say, oh, it's so bad in the modern day. Nah, go read some history. Go read some history about the practices of marriage in the early biblical context, in Jewish context, in pagan context, even in early Christian context. Marriage has never been uh, done very well by any society. Uh, there's always been problems because sin has wreaked havoc on marriage in all contexts at all times. It causes distortions and oppressions and, and damage to people from the beginning of time in Adam and Eve all the way to today. Some have looked at this and said, well, we just need to throw marriage out. Marriage is, is an old thing. It's, it's old school, old tradition, and we need to be done with it. We don't need to have marriage. But may this never be true for us as Christians because marriage will always be something God created and a picture of the gospel. We can never back down. There's not a hotter debate today than what is marriage. Uh, there's not. If you ask people on the street, you're going to get all kinds of answers. And it's no secret today for you in this room that the Bible's definition of marriage is very different than what our culture or our laws define as marriage. Two things. One, we should not be surprised. Really? Should we be surprised that, that a secular culture and a secular lawmaking body defines marriage in a different way than what God does? Should we assume that the culture should follow God's word? No, we shouldn't be surprised. We also shouldn't be satisfied. We should want that our culture should define marriage in the same way that we do. But whatever happens outside there, whatever happens in Washington, whatever happens in legislators, really doesn't affect you and your spouse today, right? right? At the end of the day, as gospel people, that's a very secondary issue, how the government defines it in some laws. 
But what is a real issue is how you're going to treat each other today. How you're going to resolve that conflict. How you're going to work through those issues, right? And so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. And God's word lays out the blueprint for how we should live as husbands and wives. So let's look at it. Ephesians 5, I'm going to start in verse 21 actually, which is part of our last text. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. And he quotes from Genesis. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning, God, as we think about and we learn from scripture about what it means uh, to live out the gospel in our marriages. God, I pray that you would give us clear understanding. God, may we, um, may I not speak things that are outside of your word. May I not uh, share opinions and all that sort of stuff that, that has no place and is not in line with your word. I pray that we would see uh, you as the creator and the designer of everything. And may our hearts be moved uh, by the good news of Jesus, God, to live that out in our marriages. And so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start uh, in verse 21. And let's just talk about this for a little bit, all right? Uh, 21, he says first, and this is important because in in my Bible, 22 starts a new paragraph, right? But actually, probably in the original, 21 should be included with it because there's not a verb in 22, so it's got to come from 21. So really, the start of this conversation is in 21 where he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's important we note that submission, before we start talking about the, 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 the directive towards wives, submission is for everyone. For all Christians, we are to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. So out of our submission to Christ, out of our submission to God to say, you're you're the king, you know what's best, we submit to one another. It's not just, this is not just, hey, submit to your leaders. This is not just submit to those in charge. No, he's saying submit to one another. And what does that mean? We talked about it uh, from Philippians 2 where he says, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so this, this idea of submission is, 
Husbands, you don't get out of this one, all right? This is, yes, it's directed towards wives, but he's saying husbands too, submit to one another. Let put the other person first. And this is the key for the whole passage today. This is if we make marriage about us, it's going to fail, right? But if we make marriage about the other person, if it's always uh, not me-centered but others-centered, because that's what Christ did, then it's going to thrive, right? So submission is not just a directive given to wives, although it's specifically given to them. It's for all of us. So let's look at it. In verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now in marriage, as in all of creation, God has given unique roles uh, for husbands, and he's given unique roles for wives. This is true, um, and our culture would like to say this, that, that men and women are totally equal, right? And in some sense, that statement is totally true. We are equal. But there are things that my wife can do that I cannot do. Does that make her better than me? No, not at all, right? We're equal in value, but we have different functions. We have different roles. We have different abilities. We have different capabilities, right? And, and if we say that men and women are totally interchangeable, there's no difference. Our husbands and wives are totally interchangeable. There's no difference. Then really what we're doing is we're taking away glory from God in his creation, right? He designed it this way. This wasn't our idea to go, hey, make some like this, and we should make some like this. No, 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 this was God's idea, right? So my wife has capabilities in reproduction that I do not, and I'm not going into the details this morning, right? But Byron Smith is never going to birth a baby, right? It's not even right for me to say we had a baby, right? I had nothing, I had very, very little to do with that, okay? I did have something to do with that, but not a whole lot. But I did not have a baby, if you're tracking with me, all right? Does that mean my wife is of greater value than me? No, not at all. Does that mean that I'm lesser value than she? No, not at all. It just means what? We're different, right? Now, I have capabilities as a man that she does not have as, as a woman, and I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of what they are. I think women actually have more capabilities than men. But does that mean that I'm greater than her? No, right? Does that mean that our value, our worth there's a difference? No, right? What we believe scripture teaches is equal value, different roles, right? So what is the wife's unique role in marriage? And what he says here is it is to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And we're going to talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean because there's a lot of messed up oppression around this word, submit. Um, but this he says uh, and he lays it out that the submission of a wife to a husband is like that of the church to Christ, right? He's going to call the husband head or headship or leadership. And wives are meant to submit to husbands like the church submits to Christ. So the church, how do we submit to Christ? Well, one, we, we believe his word because we know that he cares for us, because he has our best interest at heart, right? We, we submit to his word because we believe in him, because we love him, uh, and wives are meant to do the same with their husbands. Now, this is submit is not um, mindless, personless, uh, just I'm a robot, tell me what to do, husband, right? That is not what he means by submit, right? 
It's a joyful, thankful partnership. So let's look at some definitions. What does submission mean? And here's just a couple of ways to think about it. Tim, I think we got a slide. Yeah, there we go. One, submission means to give oneself up to somebody. To give oneself up to somebody. It means to entrust yourself to someone's care and leadership. To, uh, the word comes from a military perspective, so it's the idea of placing yourself under someone's responsibility. To put someone before yourself. Now, we're all called to do this, right? He says, submit to one another, and wives are called to do this. And so a wife's role in marriage is to support and care for. And there is immense beauty in this. Now, let's talk a little bit about what submission does not mean, right? Because there's a lot, whew, there's a lot of messed up stuff. Submission does not mean that wives are weak and incapable, so they need a man to show them the way. They need a man to take care of them. That's not what he means here when he says submit. Submission doesn't mean that wives never make choices, or they they must ask permission, right? I'm giving these examples because these are how people have interpreted this at times, right? Okay, you tracking with me? All right. Submission does not mean that a wife is not allowed to make choices. She's not allowed to do anything without getting permission. That is so far from the truth. Submission does not mean that wives never lead or direct something. It doesn't mean that they're, they never uh, are the one making the decision in a house, right? My wife makes a thousand decisions in our house every day. And if we didn't have her making those decisions, we would be in trouble, right? If it was all up to my good ideas, we would... Not be good. Right? Our family would not function. I need my wife to lead. I need her to direct. I need her to, to, to make decisions, right? She doesn't have to come to me to ask permission. That's oppressive, right? Submission doesn't mean that all women should submit to all men, right? What does he say? He says, wives, submit to your own husband. This is not all men have ranking authority over all women. This is not setting up a patriarchy that that men are ruling and every woman has to listen. That's not what he means. He says, in your relationship, your marriage, this is how this works. And submission does not mean that wives should submit to physically abusive husbands and stay no matter what. That is not God's intent by using this word. If you're in an abusive relationship, seek help. Seek help, okay? There's a lot of messed up applications of what this word submit means. In essence, submit means to put the other person before yourself. And here in a minute, he's going to tell the husbands to love your wives. And what is that? What is love? To put someone else before yourself, right? In some, in some sense, he's saying the exact same thing to husbands and wives. And yes, it's, it's unique and it's carried out in different ways, how we put one another above ourselves. But if marriage, it becomes about us, we've missed it. Let's keep going. Uh, I, the next question I asked in my notes are, what are some practical impl- implications? Like, what should this look like? And let me just tell you, I'm not going to give you any, okay? I'm not. 
I'm not going to tell you, Dana Frank, how you should submit to Glenn Frank. I don't, I can't. I'm not going to. And I don't think you should listen to very many preachers that do. Right? Because they're not in that marriage. They don't understand personalities. They don't understand how things work, right? Right? I, I just, I'm just very hesitant to go, hey, he should get to choose this and this and this. And she should get, no, no, right? God has given us the principle. This is how God's word works. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we are called to follow that. And he's going to give us direction and he's going to give us guidance, right? So I'm, I'm not going to tell you, hey, how you get to choose the restaurants, but Marcel gets to choose the TV channel, right? That's not, that's not how this works, right? And it probably shouldn't work in your house like that, okay? We give, God's word gives us principles and he gives us the Holy Spirit to direct our steps. So let's keep going. Verse 23, he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So this, this language of head uh, is, is God's ordering of creation, is God's uh, establishing a design in creation. And God has done this in all of creation, right? It's like a car manufacturer designs a car to work in a certain way, right? Like you've got to put gasoline in the car or it doesn't go if you put diesel in the car it doesn't work right you've got you've got to use the steering wheel to steer you can't just use your feet like the, the cartoon right you like there's a way this car works and you can rail against no I want to put water in my engine that's fine but what's going to happen right God has ordered and designed things in such a way and one of the things that God does in creation is he gives authority, and I really the word I want to use is responsibility. He gives responsibility to certain people, right? He gives it to governments. He gives responsibility to parents over kids. He gives responsibility to bosses over employees. And in marriage, he gives responsibility to husbands. That doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean that they're the boss, it means that when God comes looking for them in the garden, who does he ask for? Adam, why did you? He puts the responsibility on the man, right? And so in marriage, God has given responsibility, unique responsibility to husbands. Now here's the point. People with this God-given responsibility are meant to exercise their authority, not as oppressive, not to push people down, not to... But what is the point of God assigning authority and leadership and responsibility to someone to use it for the good of those under them, right? Right? This is, this is true in every area of life. Authority is given to care for those under your responsibility. Authority is not to be used selfishly. Authority is not meant to be oppressive. Authority is meant to be uh, beneficiary, right? It's meant to be good for those under our care, right? So this is, this is true in a church setting, right? You've called me to be your pastor, and in some sense I have some authority. I, don't, I still don't know what it is yet. Uh, but there's, there's, there's some authority invested in a pastor. Now some pastors, what do they do? They use that selfishly, right? They use that for their own uh, platform. They use it for their own financial gain. They use it for uh, their own power and control of people. Does that mean that authority is bad? No, it means that that pastor 
is bad. It means that he's sinful. It means that he's oppressive. It doesn't mean that the institution is, right? This is true in a home, right? Parents have authority, have headship over their kids. And that's to be used for the good of their kids. Does that mean that all parents always do things selflessly for their kids? No, there are abusive parents who hurt their kids and tear down their kids and control their kids and manipulate their kids. Does that mean that parenthood should just go away? We should just scrap the whole institution? No. It means that that parent is wrong. It means that sin has infiltrated that. And this is, this is what he's talking about with headship. Some people say we just need to scrap the whole deal because there is abuse. And I'm not denying that there's abuse. I'm not denying that there's oppression. Right? But the biblical definition of this is this. And this is, I read this in John Stott's commentary this week. And here's what he says. Headship is about care, not control. Headship is about responsibility, not rule. God has given husbands headship responsibility, but it's not about control. It's not so you get to make every decision in your house. It's not so that you get to tell everybody what to do. No, it's about care. It's about taking care of that which is under you. And it's about responsibility, not rule. It's not about ruling over, ruling with an iron fist, telling everybody what to do, my way or the highway, all that sort of stuff. No, it's about responsibility, feeling the responsibility for others. You see, what, see, see this? It's so easy to get this distorted. And, and men can take this in so many terrible ways to say, I'm the head. You've got to do what I say, woman, right? That's terrible. That is not biblical, Right? Because how does he say that we are to be the head? He says it's as Christ is head of the church. And so the model for us is, as husbands is Christ. Christ doesn't come in and say, my way or the way, get with it. I can't believe you're doing this. No, no, no. Christ doesn't control us. Christ doesn't manipulate us. No, he is a good. He is good. Husbands, we take our cues from Christ. He's the one we're trying to emulate. He's the one we're trying to look like. And so men, husbands, if you're taking headship to mean that you get to do whatever you want, you get to boss people around, you get to control people, control money, be lazy, get in there and make me a sandwich, whatever the chauvinistic phrase is here, if you're taking that, you've missed the whole perspective because we're to do it as Christ would. And I can't hear Christ saying that. I can't think of Christ living that way. If you're modeling your life after Christ, it, it's so much easier for a wife to be eager to submit to that leadership. So much easier for her to fulfill her role in the marriage if you're trying to be like Christ and if she's trying to be like Christ. Right? And we're going to talk about the spiral effect here in a minute. But if we operate by God's design, here's what I know. It'll lead to flourishing in our marriage. It'll lead to flourishing in our families. Let's look at verse 25. Is that thoroughly complicated enough? You got it? All right. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen, we don't have time to go through this phrase by phrase and verse by verse. What's the point, husbands? What's the point? What's the one three-word point? Love your wife. Love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. And he gives us three ways that we're to do it, and they're pretty similar. He says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, as your own body, as yourself, which those last two might as well be one, right? But this is what he says. This is how we are to love. Um, it is no secret that Christ loves the church. Why? Because he literally came and he died for it. He, he gave up his life for it. He is the bridegroom and, and the church is the bride. And he came and he died the death that we deserved to give us the life that we didn't deserve. Right? He, he demonstrated his love so very well, right? Love is action. Love is not just this feeling, right? And Christ demonstrated his love. And so husbands, let's just think about a few ways that Christ loves the church because that's, that's the bar, right? And I'm not trying to compare these two and say this, some people will say this one's harder than this one. I don't, whatever. I don't know. It's unique. Husbands, our bar is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So let's just think about a few and let's apply it to our role as headship, our role as, as the one being submitted to. And let's just think for a second. He says, how did Christ love the church? Number one, Mark 10, 45, he came not to be served, but to serve. Right? He had full rights to go, hey, you need to serve me. Right? Christ came to be served. I'm sorry, he came not to be served, but to serve. So headship doesn't mean that we get to just boss our wife around and have her serve us. If that's how you're living as a husband, you've missed the point. Because that's not like Christ. Christ came to serve, not to be served. We are to help her. We are to support her. We are to meet her needs, to care for her. So husbands, serve your wives. Second, how did Christ love the church? He gave up his rights for the sake of others. Philippians 2, a beautiful passage, talks about how, how Christ emptied himself um, and he came to earth and he, he laid down his life. He had full rights as the son of God, but he got rid of those so that he could come and give up his life, die the death that we deserve, right? So husbands, you may have rights. Give them up. <laughs> give them up. That's what we're called to do. Don't, don't say, well, but I deserve this. No, you're a husband. Be like Christ. Love your wife. Give up your rights. Put her first. Put her needs first. I hope you're beginning to see that this headship is maybe not all that it's cracked up to be, right? <laughs> it, it might feel like it, but headship is a high calling. 
It's, it's about sacrificial love, giving up yourself for the sake of someone else. Ephesians 4.32, third thing he did, he gave up his life. Now, I don't think many of us husbands in the room are going to be called to literally stand in the way of a bullet or jump in front of a, a speeding car. That may happen. Please, push your wife out of the way, take the hit, okay? But I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. Every day, we have the chance to die to ourselves for the sake of someone else. Every day, we have, we have the opportunity and the, and the, and the privilege to die to ourselves for the sake of someone else. That's what it means to be a mature man. Not a, not a little boy that can shave, right? Little boys that can shave, they do what they want, whenever they want. They spend their money however they want. They control things. They, they throw fits when they don't get what they want. That's not a mature man. And we're called to be like Christ and to grow into maturity. Godly men lay down their lives for the sake of others. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. Fourth, what does Christ do to love the church? He forgives us. Husbands, we are called to forgive our wives. We are called to extend the same forgiveness that we've been shown in Christ. This is what Matthew 18 talks about. That if if we really understand how much God has forgiven us, and how small of a thing is it for us to forgive her. We are called to forgive. We're not called to hold grudges and to hold that over her head. We're called to reconcile and work through things. That's what it means to love her, is to forgive her. Fifth, he, how does Christ love us? He provides for us. Husbands, we are to provide for our wives. It doesn't mean that women can't work. It doesn't mean that men are the old, have to be the biggest earners in the family. No, scrap all that. Forget that. That's not what he's talking about. But husbands, it does mean that you bear the unique responsibility of providing for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8, he says that those who don't provide for their family are worse than any unbeliever. Right? He says that we are called to not be lazy bums, to not get by with whatever. No, we're called to work hard and provide for our families. And lastly, how does Christ love us? He's faithful to us. Hebrews 13. Husbands, we are to be faithful to our wives. It's one way we love her. We have to fight against the temptation to look elsewhere, to go elsewhere for satisfaction or pleasure or anything. We have to fight against the lie that says that the grass is greener somewhere else. I love the meme that says, no, the grass is greener where you water it, right? So water your marriage, right? Don't go looking for it elsewhere. It's not greener over there. Love your wife. Be faithful to your wife. Listen, I read those and I go, who is fit for this, right? Who, who can measure up, right? And I feel that as a husband, but I, I, don't, I don't share all of that, as, and I speak a little more directly to the husbands in the room because they can take it. Like, that's the bar. And there's grace when we don't measure up, but continue to aim for the bar. Continue to love your wife. Continue to give up yourself for the sake of your life. In the last verse, he kind of sums up the whole thing in verse 33. He says, he basically sums up his whole point. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He, he chooses the word respect. It's similar to submit. But it's the idea 
Really, the idea here is that if both are doing this, it's, it's a spiral upwards, right? It, it builds on itself. If I'm laying down my life for my wife, she's, she's more likely to support and submit and respect, and that's, that leads me to want to love. And it, You see, it builds on itself. But when I go, oh, she's just, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't support me, right? Then I love her less. And she goes, well, he's loving me less. He doesn't care about me. So she respects me less, right? And I go, well, this is getting worse, right? And I'd love her less, right? It tears itself down. It's a spiral downward. It takes two. It really does. It takes two to live selflessly for the sake of someone else, right? Now, just as we have unique roles in marriage, we also have unique temptations, Husbands, we're going to be tempted to shirk our responsibility, right? This is Adam in the garden, right? He, he doesn't want to take responsibility for what just happened. He's, he's avoiding, he's blaming, he's doing whatever he can. He's being passive, he's not stepping in with his wife doing something right. This is our temptation as men. We might be tempted to be selfish. We might be tempted to not care for her. We might be tempted to not live in an understanding way with our wife. We might be tempted to be frustrated, not empathetic. We might be tempted to be passive, not intentional. We might be tempted to be lazy, to allow her to lead because it's easier that way. We might be tempted to, to love ourselves first, not love her first. And we're probably going to be tempted to make all kinds of excuses as to why we can't do this. Husbands, don't give in. Don't give in to this temptation. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wives are going to be tempted in very unique ways that are going to be different than us. Wives, you're going to be tempted to manipulate or try to dominate. You might be tempted to not respect him. You might be tempted to try to take things on that are not your responsibility. You might be tempted to be prideful. I'm not going to let any man tell me what to do. You might be tempted to give your time and attention to all kinds of other things before you focus on your husband. And there's a thousand other ones, and I hesitate to speak those because I'm not a wife. Wives, don't give in to these temptations. Submit yourselves to your husband. Respect his leadership. Support him. Because this is what happens when both are doing that. It leads to flourishing. It leads to your, your marriage flourishing. It leads to your family flourishing. And it leads to our community flourishing. But when the opposite's true... When marriage is not held in high honor, when we're, we're being selfish, not selfless, it tears down. And it doesn't just tear down your marriage, it tears down families, and it tears down communities, and it tears down nations, right? right this is a very important thing. And there's so many people in so many different situations in the room today. And I, I, wish, I wish I could speak directly to all of them, but let me just address a few. If you're single in the room, if you want to be married, never have been, or single by whatever, it can be hard to sit and listen to a sermon about marriage, right? Because you're like, this, this is not me, right? Or you, you're so past it, you're like, ah, I don't even care. Or you so want it that it just ignites this unhealthy desire in you. I guess what I would say to singles is be patient, Use your time in singleness to learn to trust God. Learn to be content now. Marriage won't fix you. <laughs> Can I say that again? Marriage won't fix you. Marriage will only compound what else is going on in you. 
Marriage will only make it more difficult to deal with your own junk, right? So if you're single in the room, learn to be content and pray for that spouse, absolutely. But learn from the marriages around you. Learn from the pictures of God's grace around you and keep moving forward towards Christ. And if you're divorced in the room, right, it's going to be hard to sit and listen to a sermon about marriage because it, it reminds you of so many failures and it reminds you of... It, takes you to this place of wanting to blame him or blame her and ugh, right it, it, I, and God divorce was never God's intent for marriage and you understand that more than us maybe who are still married right if you've been through divorce God has not abandoned you God has not left you you are loved and you have an important place in our church you're not second class because you've been through a divorce God has a purpose. God has not abandoned you. And there is more to live. Your life is not over. All you can do is continue to move forward in Christ. And to the widowed in the room, it's not what you wanted either, right? You lived a beautiful marriage, right? Maybe you spent decades together. And, and being a widow was never what you envisioned. You, you never wanted to be in this season. You never wanted to be where you're at. One, praise God for what he did give you and believe this, that God has not abandoned you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise from scripture. He will provide for you and he will take care of you. So keep moving forward towards Christ. This is kind of a heavy way to start the year. Uh, but I, I hope that as we see this um, my hope is that we would see that marriage is about the gospel. It's about giving up ourselves for the sake of someone else. Uh, one of the ways you can respond today, and we're going we're gonna to close here in a sec with the song, and if you want to come talk, you can talk, or if you want to come pray at the altar, you can come pray. Um, but our church started a marriage ministry last year called Grace Marriage, and uh, it, we meet every three months uh, as couples to intentionally invest in our marriage. Maddie and I are doing it. We don't lead it. We just come and deal with the hard stuff sometimes. Uh, and we're working on it, right? And we haven't arrived after four sessions, right? We're still going to continue on. And so if that's something you want to do, you feel conviction to do, we're going to have sign-ups this month. I don't have it out there this week. Um, but that may be something, that may be a practical step. Man, I need to work. We need to work on our marriage, right? It's a non-threatening environment. You don't have to come and share. Like, it's just you and your spouse talking, right? And so that may be one way you respond. But my hope is that, that all of us would become more like Christ. And that would lead to our marriages being lights in our community. So let me pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for your word. And uh, God, it can rub against us. And it can be hard to hear and it can uh, maybe be difficult and, and hard to implement, God. But I pray that we would be, um, God, uh, you would just fill us with your word. And you would give us your spirit to direct us. And you would teach us how to love our wives and how to submit to our husbands, God. And I pray that our marriages would be lights of the gospel in our families and our communities, God. The forgiveness that's shown, the love that's shown, God, would point people to you. And so I pray for those hurting today, God, mourning the loss of a spouse, 
mourning the loss of a marriage, mourning the loss of something that's yet to happen. God, I pray that pray that you would bring comfort as only you can. God, I pray that you would uh, fill us up with your presence. God, we need you and we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.